in a world. Ah, wait, wrong script. Oh yes, okay. Welcome to the Artificer's Portal, a place where our hosts, Andrew and Pat, talk with folks around the globe that make digital solutions to tabletop role-playing game problems. So jump in, buckle up, and hang on as we dive headfirst into the Artificer's Portal. The Artificer's Portal. The Artificer's... The, the, the Artificer's Portal. So come on in and uh, have a seat. Okay, thanks, Pat. Hey, I'm Pat. And I'm Andrew. Man, I am so glad those Zorger could help us get bigger. I mean, those Grackle Stug boys, or Stug, Stug, I don't remember how you say it. They helped us out a whole bunch. It was fairly scary, I will say. Um, it, they, they didn't seem friendly at first. They're not friendly at last either. No, that, that, that is, well, I was trying to give them the sort of the, but you're, you're right. You're right. They weren't friendly at, at any point, really. There's, there's no benefit of the doubt. I mean, they are straight up lawful evil. Either way, they did help us. So that was nice of them. Who knows what that piece of paper was that I signed for them to be able to help me. But, you know, I'm sure it won't come up. Demons may or may not be involved. We'll see. So where are we going this week? Last episode, we talked with nobody. It was just you and I. That's right. Was that the first time we had asked people to uh, follow, subscribe, and ask questions? Or was that the time before? Oh, um, I think that was the time. Yeah, I think that was the time because we definitely need some support. Uh, at, at that point, we were very small and we needed some support for sure. That's right. We needed affirmation, um, support, love, just to acknowledge our existence because we were literally in a Barbie house having our last episode. <laughs> it was sort of a low point physically <laughs> and and um, emotionally. But for our listeners, there were no pink Corvettes involved. Thank goodness. <laughs> Because uh, one pink, two Corvettes. So yes, we were sitting in Barbie chairs. Um, we did have to do our whole setup from there. It was these giant microphones that we had. Um, and uh, we were talking a lot about player prep, immersion. Really, we just we went over a lot of the, the conversation up to this point. We summarized it. We talked about each guest that we've had on. And, and you know, the, the coolest thing about the last nine episodes that we've had is it is a, it's a continuing conversation over many different people and you know we just we took that opportunity to you know summarize it all and um touch back on some of the other things that we had learned as the conversation Im- improved yeah like my mom used to say put a bow on it we put a bow on it yeah that's right we put a bow on it it was one of the girls really big hair bows that we had in relation to us but you know the one of the big things that we we talked about in there was um, immersion um uh, of both players and and dms and uh, and what that means and i think that was a big topic over the last the last nine episodes, but not something that we touched on very heavily. Well, it's it's almost like you don't touch on that kind of subject, but it, you're always around it, right? It's like right. when people, when I watch TV at night, like it's one of the things my wife and I do uh, relatively religiously is uh, sit down and watch X shows. But sometimes I'll find myself sitting on the edge of the couch, looking up at my television and realize my neck hurts because I've been doing that for 18, 20 minutes and going snap out of it and go, wow, that I I just that was really intense what I was watching so much so that I forgot time and space but that's the place that we're trying to get to most of the time and that's one of the things that the last 10 episodes we're talking about having tools and digital helpers to keep us in that space right yeah and and I think that there there's always this sort of like should we do it or should we not and what we're really talking about there is is it going to be helpful for immersion or not but the, the interesting thing about it is that we don't have a quantum 
viable way to sort of define what immersion really is and looks like. And, you know, I thought, what if we just talked about that? Could we get a guest that can speak about it, how how they think about it and how they actually try to measure it and build tools with the expressed purpose of increasing immersion? You know, that's where I've talked to Chris Eddy. Um, he is the CEO at Alchemy RPG, um, and they've been making a tool for, you know, I don't know how long he's been making an alchemy, but his expressed goal is immersion first, using a digital platform to create immersion. And I thought, let's talk to him about it and see and see how does he think and 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 feel about it. So that's where I've I've got lined up for us. Well, that's cool. So we fired up the girls portal at the Barbie house that was cardboard and had drawn in knobs. That got us down to the underdark yep. vicinity mid dark, I think the region is called, or middle dark. And then from there, the Durgar helped us. We stepped into a portal ring there, popped back to our lab. Everything's really great right now. So yeah. uh, now we can use our, our own control panel and we're going to go see Chris Eddie. By the way, two first names. What an awesome name. Plus Eddie, <laughs> right? Stranger Things. Best yeah. character ever. So yeah, yeah let's do this. You want to fire it up? Yeah. Do I, I, I kind of forgot how to do this. Do I just like push this here? Well, you'll hit, hang on one second. Yeah. The altitude on this says it's relatively high to Chris's location. Yeah. That's where I thought was going to look. I can't do another like dangerous situation or something that affects the family. Like if we're going to be like real big, for example, for another two weeks, I can't do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, high elevation, what can go wrong? <laughs> pull the button or lever or push the button, pull the lever, something like that and go. Why are we in Miss Frizzle's bus? This is Miss Frizzle's bus from what, the magic school. Why are we so high in the, this bus is flying over. Is that a lake down there? It's got like a little island on it. How do we... I hope we don't hit that water. Hey, I have... I brought potions. Featherfall. Okay, great. Ready? Featherfall potions? Yeah, we, going out the okay. back. Out the emergency back. What about what? Like water breathing? Uh, well, there's that island. Let's just aim for that. We'll be fine. Okay. All right. Ready? Geronimo, right? Uh, yes, that's the word. Geronimo. <laughs> look, look, look. Oh, this is... This is gorgeous. It actually smells fantastic out here. It's like it's like just nothing. If you put your arms and legs out, um, it feels like you're like skydiving, but really slow. Yeah. Well, actually, let me do like a missile. Let me just. You're not going much faster. <laughs> no, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. You smell that? It's like it reminds me of that song that uh, was it Lead Belly in the pines, <laughs> in the pines where the sun don't ever shine. This is gorgeous. I I hope that's the island he's on. Dear God, it's going to take us forever to get down there. All right, let's start swimming. Ah, <laughs> uh, there we're closer. We're there. It is there. It is. Ooh, ow, eat, ow, ooh. Man, it's quiet in this woods. Chris, Chris, are you oh, there? Yeah, over here, you guys. Uh, behind the uh, the uh, the pine trees. Oh, neat. Where are we, <laughs> Chris? Where are we at? Yeah, welcome to the uh, the wonderful Shire-like woods of Oregon. Uh, Ooh. Did, did I just break immersion there? Um, brought us back to reality. Uh, sorry. No, it's, no. It's okay. It's okay. I, I love Oregon. I heard that uh, Ed Greenwood lives in Canada, and uh, and wizards come and visit him there. They do. So, yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot. There's a lot of wizards in the Pacific Northwest. So I've heard. Yeah. Uh, Dalmar from uh, Palanthus. Visits him, Fist and Dan. No, not Fist and Danalus. Uh, what's his name? Faerun, the the old wizard from Faerun. Mm, mm. Yeah, 
Anyway, it'll come to me. It'll come to me later in the podcast, and I'll be like, "Oh, that wizard!" But anyway, he's that wizard's been to Canada, um, and then I think Mordecai's been to Canada, all at, at Greenwood's house. Sure. So why can't we have wizard stuff happening in just south of Canada here in Oregon? Beautiful Oregon. That's right. It's right. It all kind of just rolls downhill here. So um, the 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 arconic magic is in the air. And stored in the trees, so uh, it's a good spot. It's a good spot if you're if you're magical or you know vampiric. Um, you don't need the oh, sun. Oh, that's right. Oh, you have nice. you have sparkly vampires here. Well, I mean, it's a, uh, the state above us uh, hosts most of the sparkly vampires. Um, but uh, but yeah, we 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 definitely have um, lycanthropes and um, you know all the different mythological figures here running around in the woods. Oh, that's probably so it, fun. Is this is called Wizard Island, and we're somewhere uh, in Crater Lake. That's right, Oregon. Um, and this is where the the um, Artificer's Lab is for uh, Chris. And so, so is this it? It's like the lab is just the forest. Yeah, on we this silly little island. We don't believe in being enclosed by four walls. Um, you know, just <laughs> we 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 need to be out here, just drawing as much as we can from the energy of this impossibly deep caldera of water and uh, the trees that rest upon the, the top of Wizard Island. What a great metaphor for like a deep well of imagination. Ooh, I like that. Just sort of as as deep as the lake is deep. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so much lore surrounds Crater Lake, I think. And, um, and you know, in, in, in Oregon in, in general, um, from, from Sasquatch, Bigfoot type stuff, um, but there's, I, I've always been fascinated with um, sort of where you can take it, where this setting, um, you know, the different, the different types of uh, lore or, or fantasy folklore that is kind of dream, dreamt up, um, inspired by the naturalistic surroundings of, of deep forest Oregon, redwoods, um, and places like this, Crater Lake and uh, Wizard Island. Oh, so... For us to have a conversation, we're gonna need need to sit. It, where do you all sit? Do you just like sit crisscross, or how does this work? Uh, I mean, typically we 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 hover. Um, oh, so so yeah. If you, if you if you come right over here and just kind of like do a little skip and a hop and crisscross applesauce. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've never actually hovered before. This is new. Am I doing it? Am I doing it right? Or is this? Ooh, it's a little unstable. I feel like I'm top heavy. Stop oh, it. you're oh, drifting. You're drifting. Get out of my yeah. space. <laughs> don't 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 panic. If you panic, you'll you'll waver. Just okay. think about what you want to do and, and and you'll you'll steady out. See, just like that. Okay. Okay. All right. I th- well, I'll, hopefully I can keep this concentration for You're drifting again. As, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're in my space. <laughs> so I think we could probably call you our first druid artificer hmm. or maybe dryad artificer or i don't want to insult how you identify but uh you are an artificer we know that you've invited us to your wonderful forest in your lab and i thank you chris for the, the hospitality absolutely um thank thank you so much for um inviting me to uh have this conversation with you and and uh, to have y'all out here to wizard island y'all speaking my language now y'all <laughs> Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, typically we get like some sort of cold beverage or something like that, but you know we're in the middle of the woods, so I'll just float here nicely. Somebody didn't <laughs> eat breakfast this morning, and he's a bit grumpy. I think it's that, blood sugar flow or something. 
It's all right. I, I mean, in, in Oregon, the, the weather changes every 10 minutes, so uh, it'll probably start raining here in a minute, and you can just kind of... Why don't you eat those mushrooms over there, Andrew? See how that works out for you. Ooh, ooh, not those mushrooms, not those ones. Okay, good. <laughs> so, Chris, um, we've come to you because you create the wonderful experience of uh, immersive play, and the first question that we always ask people is, why'd you do it? <laughs> I mean, why? Why? What were you? What were you trying to solve? Uh, and what possessed you to take the leap, do the thing, make the thing? You know, it's funny. Like how you've structured that question is exactly the way I'm asking myself these days. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did you even do this? And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's why and there's what, and and there's what what we're doing is um, I think we're 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 trying to provide a really well designed modern application that's really built to facilitate the holistic experience of playing tabletop role playing games. I mean, this is a, a the the what in in my mind is so big, but but really it's it's uh, I think that you know we've got a way to play today through the virtual tabletop, and um, you know think. Thank, uh, thank Garl for that. Um, but uh, um, it's time for something new. It's time to stop virtualizing um, the table, this physical experience, uh, as the hobby evolves into something completely different and try to capture that. And so really, we've been on a quest for the last several years on, on trying to, to capture that, whatever that is. And uh, you know, we, we, we like to call it immersion. We like to call it experience and all of those things. And uh, and, and those are the things that are a little bit more esoteric or hard to kind of define and pin down. When I first started taking a look at your tool and, and using it, immersion is the word that I came up with too. So I think that there's some level of a home run there. But the 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 interesting thing that I I found though is you all are trying to immerse people in a different way than others immerse people in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really kind of want to dig into that for a little bit because it seems like others believe that immersion means recreating the picture that is in my head so that my eyeballs can see it and I can see it more real. Mm -hmm. But that's not exactly what you're doing. You're doing something slightly different. You're not necessarily recreating the picture in my head. You are trying to do something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is such a, a wide topic and there's there's so many ways to broach this and i think what we're really attempting to do is exercise the imagination instead of of automating it we're trying to augment it and you know if, and if if we define that as video game might sort of automate your imagination by throwing great graphics sound effects music i mean everything's there you you don't have to imagine it it's there and uh and we love video games for that but as we know, video games can can limit you. At, at a certain point, you run into a wall where the developer said, "Okay, this is the line. We can't possibly develop any more of this world." And so, for us, it's it's what what can we give the brain cognitively that can exercise it in a way to make that shared picture of the story we're all telling in our minds more powerful. And really, I think that's for us what immersion is: is trying to amplify that image, turn up the volume on that image, and uh, and really. You know, you have to have a platform to pull that together in a consistent way in a social setting like D&D or, or other role-playing games where you need to share that image. And so I, I think those are sort of the, the weird outlier realms that like we're trying to put handles on and build software around and tools around 
to help you kind of get at that. It's been a, it's been a huge challenge and um, it's been a, a fun one. Why would you take that approach when you could just build the 3D environment? I mean, there is technology to do that. Why choose to come about it in a different way? Yeah, I think I think this question kind of kind of broaches on my favorite aspect of what we're doing, which is how far do you go and where is that line? And we often talk about that line in in this very very thin line in the middle of on one side of this delta, you've got a book and it is black and white words on a on a paper page and it is all imagination and it is no stimuli, no additional immersive effects. It's you in the book. And then on the other side of that Delta, you've got the full 3D headset environment and you just sit back, drool coming out of your mouth and you're just feed me, you know? And then there's this sweet spot in the middle. And and to me, this is where I fell in love with tabletop role-playing games. And it is this, this world of there's story, we're speaking this story to each other. So, so by that sort of medium in, in and of itself, there's other people here and they're my friends. So that makes it more real to me. And now if I need to do something, there's mechanics. So that makes it feel more real to me. And then we start layering things onto our games as a lot of us do when we, when we play. You know, we've got music or we bring in an image or, you know, even, even back in the day, we threw that big multiple folding cardboard DM screen and we're looking at an amazing uh, mural of, you know, whatever world we're entering into. And these things sort of stimulate our minds and, and, and help us go to that, that richer place. So I'm obsessed with that, uh, with that fine line and it's easy to go over and it's easier, easy to go under. How do you all determine what's too much and what's uh, not enough? <laughs> like, like, do you, I guess, I guess are you using examples or do you have like a, like, how do you know when, when it's, when it, that, that fine line has been crossed? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because it's really hard to quantify that. And, um, and so, so it's something that like, as folks who obsess over that, we, are continuing to try to like hone and develop our instinct for what that is. And that kind of plays out in our vision for what the product is we're building and the feelings that we get when we use it. But, you know, we are also a business and building software for hopefully hundreds of thousands of people one day. And, and so, you know, we employ, employ simple status quo, quantitative, qualitative usability testing and put real users in front of it, interview them, ask them how their experience was, you know, what tools are missing, what, uh, what their feedback is in general. And I think, I mean, that's a whole can of worms we could talk about user testing, but I think that's, that's how we sort of, I think, uh, quantify our instinct. But that's almost, that's almost conflating the two. I mean, there are for sure related, right? Like the usability of a thing it, it it is easy to use is definitely a goal to be to be admired but immersion almost feels like a different thing than easy to use it it almost feels a little bit more like are you having fun and that <laughs> seems really hard to quantify yeah and and and, and it surely can't be like a surely we can't just satisfy ourselves with just like a you played a 3 hour RPG session. Did you have fun? Well, sure. There were points I had fun. 
Yeah, and, and I think I think usability is um, is a table stake into immersion. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a qualifier into it because if you, if something isn't usable and and you can't adequately express yourself because you you can't use the tools, then I think it's a, it's a qualifier. You're disqualified from immersion if you're fiddling with software. I'm just going inter- to interject and say that immersion. So I've watched tables. I've watched, I don't know if, uh, I know Andrew has, Chris, I don't know if you've watched people play at a table, like as a, as a science experiment. What you learn is there are people who are playing the game. There are people who are listening to the game. There are people who are, look like they're not playing the game. There are people who look distracted. Are those people immersed or not in that binary sense? But my, my question would be, and I think one of the things that is my big takeaway and when I walk away from the table, how much do I remember? Yes. And when I remember a lot, when I remember and feel that memory, I know that I was immersed, regardless if I was sitting there doodling on my iPad or taking notes or fielding a text from one of my children. I remember that he snuck behind him, opened up the door, let out all the slave droids that then came to rush to our help and defeat the big bad. And that was an epic moment. And I wasn't even the one that did it. That was one of my player friends that did it. Yeah, Pat, you're my, you're my hero, man. I love what you've, what you've said here, which is the aspect of creating a memory. And, and we talk about this a lot when we talk about battle maps, because it inevitably comes up all the time, because battle maps are the quintessential thing that makes online play online play. I, I, I know I've heard people say like, I'm not, I don't know if D&D Beyond is a VTT, but when they add battle maps, it will be a VTT. And so we talk about this a lot when, because when, battle maps isn't, isn't a core feature that, or, or a, you know, the primary feature when you come to alchemy, it's the scenery, it's the environment, it's the music. And, uh, and when we get into these conversations about the difference between playing on a VTT and then playing in the theater of the mind or with a tool like alchemy, we talk a lot about memories and how you, how you remember the game. And so, for example, for me, I played in a homebrew campaign when I first started playing online with, with friends and we were playing on a VTT. And I still remember that game as the battle map that I saw because I'm a visual person. And I remember uh, a, a scenario where we were in a desert and there was a caravan and uh, there was sort of a circle of wagons around a campfire. And I remember what happened. And that's, that's the core overarching stimuli that I, that I hearken back to in my brain when I think about that, that setting. But then there's uh, a game that we played in, in Alchemy, uh, an Eberron campaign where Asher tried to mount a Brontosaurus and and ride this dinosaur and we sort of role played that whole thing out and in my mind i see like the best cg version of jurassic park that doesn't that never existed and to me the fidelity of those memories are night and day and that was a a big moment for me in understanding the power of exercising the imagination to take dslr quality photos in the brain versus here look at this top-down map i think what's so interesting it feels like we've just suggested that memory can be tied to immersion and that memory could potentially be quantified i mean we could 
ask someone, what do you remember about a session a day, a week, a month, a year after that session and quantify the amount that they, the, the, the amount of things they can remember and the accuracy at which they can remember it. Yeah. And, and you can use that potentially, you could use that number to start trying to determine a line at which you might cross of too much realism in your immersion versus not enough. Yeah. I, I think memory is the byproduct of good immersion or of immersion. Like the, if, if immersion is binary, I just, I put it on a gradient scale there and said good immersion, which is an, another conversation. I think you're both hitting on a, a point that Andrew, to be honest, I don't think we've talked about before. Uh, it was kind of discovered in this podcast, this, this memory space. I'd like to go back just a little bit, Chris, and you talked about you did talk about D&D Beyond and people are like, well, if they had battle maps, then they're a VTT. And then you go, well, what's a VTT? And then that must be battle maps. And then we talked to Mitch and Nicola, Albert Rodeo, and that's all they do. I mean, that's literally what they do. The top down look of a map. We were like, are you a VTT? And I think Nicola's response was, well, people say we are. <laughs> she didn't want to admit that they were. But she said, people say we are. So it's like maps equals BTT. However, what you're all doing is fracturing the community's concept of what a virtual tabletop is. One, I'd like to thank you as a fan. Two, one of the things that I've always wanted to be able to do in my tabletops, and I've done this in, in Roll20, is use imagery as opposed to maps. And I would literally stack images all over a very large grid in Roll20 and then open up a player view window so that when they were on that screen, they would see that whole player view window. And as we went through, I would pull out images and pull in images into that player view, much like a slide deck, except for a slide deck that I can grab the right slide at the right time. Uh, and push it in there and say, hey, yay, verily, this is the, the person you see, or this is the town that you've gone to. And I've done that with Albert Rodeo too, to an extent. But is it those images? Is it the animation in the images? Is it the, the music that makes it stick deep in our spindly cells, which is the memory of our brain versus the map? Because I tell you what, I, I, you don't know this, Andrew does. I served in the military for a long time and uh, we did a lot of things. None of those things that we did that I remember viscerally are a view of a map. Right. Uh, they were third, they were first person. So many things in there I want to I want to respond to. I mean, I guess the easy one, you, you mentioned a slide deck and it's funny because I I get, I get a lot of inspiration from building alchemy from using Keynote as a software designer. I use Keynote all the time and it was so funny because um you know, when I when I joined Netflix as a designer, you know, I was expecting to to see designers using tools like Figma, Sketch, or a, even um, Photoshop or, or Illustrator or something like that. And I found like all these designers were using Keynote, which was so funny because I mean, we were designing for TV, 16 by nine experience, animation, all that stuff. Anyway, side story, sorry, squirrel. But, but, uh, but that's really how I see my games running as well. I'm, Keynote is about storytelling. Uh, a slide deck is about telling a story, whether that is this quarter's financial earnings or the pitch or whatever else. And, and I think that there's, there's a lot of value in that as an application, as a piece of software. And that's really where we've sort of started with this, like, I don't know, core inspiration for the framework of Alchemy and then building it for a tabletop and connection and all that stuff. 
kind of getting back to the what you were saying about VTTs. And and by the way, I love Albert Rodeo for what it is. I think that I think that it's it's so easy to use and I appreciate it so much. And when 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 we need to use like heavy battle maps, like we will pull up Albert Rodeo because we don't have a lot of those features yet. But yeah, I think that 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 there is just this conversation about about that virtual table. I mean, obviously the VTT is a virtualization of the table. It's gridded. You put your tokens on it, you move them around. There's a map, and that is one aspect of the experience of playing tabletop role playing games. But the hobby is evolving, and that's the beautiful thing about it is that we started off at one aspect in you know, almost 50 years ago, and it keeps changing and and like anything else, like any other medium keeps changing and now we've got we've got critical role we have the adventure zone we've got streaming we have twitch and, and we're we're learning a new way to play the thing is that the technology the tools are struggling to keep up now because we've had a massive influx of growth because of the pandemic and whatnot and so now i think that there's there's this new experience that doesn't that doesn't just revolve around five foot five foot grids, tokens, and dice. There's a whole new thing. And that's what I was kind of trying to explain in the beginning that we're trying to capture, a tool set to capture whatever magic that is. I am now just enamored with this idea that that we could potentially quantify these tools, what the new thing that you're building, the other thing that are being built, and previous tools that have been used by analyzing what people remember about their play. I mean, theoretically, what you could do, and and we could even formulate hypotheses around this, right? For example, I might say Albert Rodeos. We, we've been talking about that. Uh, the, the interesting thing about them is they focus on ease of use, not immersion, right? As easy to use as possible, and if that becomes immersive, then great. But as easy to use as possible. I wonder if we could quantify and see a difference in the number of memories and the accuracy of memories from games played on VTTs online versus games played at a table with physical terrain and and tokens. And I wonder if there is an insight there that can show maybe one is better than the other and then start, I mean, splintering that out to others. I think that that, that could be a really, really interesting idea. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on, Andrew. And, and, and the, that's a part of the the question, a part of the question set that we ask people when we run them through a, a session on alchemy. Like, what do you remember about the experience? And those are ways that that we do try to quantify that. What is engagement? What is immersion? I love what you mentioned about Albert and being easy to use. Because for me, what I've experienced is that I've had more immersive gameplay in Albert because of its ease of use. And that kind of gets back to this other thing that we've established that ease of use um, is a qualifier for immersion versus another VTT, which maybe has a much more rich feature set, maybe a little bit harder to get, get onboarded onto. So is that lightweight, more immersive VTT, more immersive than the, the heavier one? Well, and you, you mentioned two metrics in there that Pat and I have talked a lot about. And I, I want to go back to what he, he mentioned. When we first started on D&D Beyond, we both said, look, we've played We've played D&D for a large majority of our lives. And we've been players and we've been DMs, even seen it played on a stream. But you know what is rarely ever done? And that is I sit at a table 
with a notepad watching people play a normal game of, of D and D or any other role-playing game, not one on stream. Cause that's different, mm-hmm. but just a normal one and just watch people play as if I am a scientist behind a one-way mirror, just looking at how people play. And we did that pretty, and we took notes, we took notes and we compared and we talked. And one of the things that we anecdotally came back with was two metrics that we saw that you could measure in potentially measure in real time. And that was engagement and immersion. And we, we had thought maybe engagement really means um, I am, my attention is gathered by the mechanics of the game, right? The mechanics of the game have drawn my focus in and I am paying attention. The other one is immersion. And immersion is the story or the role play of the game has drawn my attention in. So therefore, lack of attention at the table, and it was interesting to kind of watch not where the center of focus was at the table, but rather where the center of focus was not. Mm -hmm. And to watch that, the interesting thing is, and I'll wrap this in a question that we thought of, is that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, mechanics can ruin immersion. And I want to ask you that. Do you think that mechanics break immersion? No. I think that... If we, if we look at this distinction between engagement and immersion, I actually think that they're, they're kind of one and the same. And I think that it's all about immersion. And I think that what we're calling engagement is just active immersion versus passive immersion. Hmm. Um, and when we go back to that two-way glass that you're describing and you're watching the, the players play a normal game of D&D, it's so hard to measure just sitting and listening to the story. And you, you might do that half the time. You might do that a collective hour and a half out of a three hour session where you're you're just passively listening. You're not active. You're not doing anything with your hands. You're not rolling dice. You're not whatever. To me, that's immersion. But then, then the active side of that is we're in initiative. I'm planning out my next move. I'm looking at my spells. I'm looking at my feats, my, my, my traits and all these things. I'm rolling dice. I'm like decrementing or incrementing my hit points, but it's all immersion. It's just active or passive. Yeah. And that's what I thought too. But the one thing that really stuck out in my mind, and this was what, what kind of surprised me in all of the sessions that I watched, there was a really clear thing that happened. And that is when the DM says roll initiative, it means something very different than what you think it might mean. For example, you think, oh, roll for initiative is that quintessential moment in uh, role-playing games that like everybody gets super excited because combat's about to happen, blah, 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 right? But, But in actuality, what really happens when you say roll for initiative, it means take a one to five minute break. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> because it means that I'm going to now roll a thing. I'm going to wait for the DM to do his part of it or her part of it and line up their, their monsters, put their stuff. I, we even saw, like I took notes on people would then pull out their purses and get into their phone. They would go get a drink of water or, and that happens the majority of the time. So yeah. in, in that case, I, I have to say one of the quintessential moments, especially in D&D, but in most role-playing games, when you go from a generalized time structure to a sequenced time structure, the mechanics can get so complicated that it it ruins immersion there. Totally. Or, or maybe I should say it ruins attention at the table. And sure. if attention at the table is immersion, then it ruins immersion. 
Yeah. What I noticed doing uh, table observation, and we were watching Adventures League stuff at PAX U way back when. It becomes two different games. We're playing mm-hmm. a role-playing game, R-O-L-E, and now we're playing a role-playing game, R-O-L-L. That shocking difference of transferring to, I use one-eighth of my character sheet to now I'm going to use like 80% of my character sheet. I know I did percentages and uh, fractions at the same time. Sorry, <laughs> but it, it's it's jarring. And also, it's a commitment. I don't want to miss a round of combat, so I need to go to bathroom. I need to get a throat lozenge. I need to check my phone to make sure my kids aren't calling. All the things so I can clear my calendar for the next hour because we're about to start combat. I think those are the things that break that immersion that you're talking about. Can you imagine? I think it's similar to maybe what a biathlete or a triathlete goes through. A tri- triathlete. How you say that? Um, <laughs> they come out of the water. And then they transfer to the bicycle. And it's a shock to the system. But that transfer is where they make up so much time if they're good at it, right? Or they come off the bike and go to the run. That transfer is where they make so much time up. It's the people that take time to transfer that slowly start to lose position. And in role playing, that transfer, unless that muscle is exercised more than twice uh, every other week, it's, it's it's a hard shift or a context shift. Yeah, I, I like what you're bringing up, Pat, because this this is kind of one of our our core tenets in our vision for alchemy, which is to which is to eliminate speed bumps in the storytelling experience. And I think a lot of that has to do with transition. And and so one of the things we're constantly talking about in the uh, user experience and app development is which things do we automate and which things do we give the GM and the player's agency to do? For example, targeting. If you if you target the goblin and, and you roll. And we decide if it's hit or miss, and then we apply the damage, and then even take away the hit points. There's too much automation there. We love we love the game for certain aspects of agency, but we don't like to do math. And then and then there are aspects here of transition and story, and those are the things. Those are the decisions that we decide in our software that we want to automate. So, for example, as a game master, when you when you decide to enter a combat encounter, you flip a switch that says encounter mode. And when you do that, it automatically rolls initiative for all the players in the game, all of the NPCs mm-hmm. in the scene. And every NPC that you reveal into the scene, it just automatically rolls them into that initiative order. And you've just got a big you know, up and down button and you move through initiative. And then there are aspects of that automation where you're automatically as a game master impersonating whoever's up on initiative. So if, if it's the goblin, you're seeing everything that you need to roll a goblin attack, you the stat block, you hit down, and now it's the next person's initiative, uh, person in the initiative order, and it's a player character. So you can say, uh, you know, hey, actually, you're out of spell slots, buddy. Or, or you could say, hey, actually, um, let me, I can help you, you're a new player, whatever. So those automations are things that help, I think, eliminate those speed bumps, tell a better story, because as we know, in storytelling, the beat is everything. The rhythm of the story is everything. But in D&D, we hit the height of the story, and then we say, all right, everyone roll initiative, do a little bit of math, let me sort everything, and then we'll figure it out. So there's, I think, a little bit to the problem. It's, it's not just a context shift. It's not just a sorting and management shift, but there's also some excitement behind it, right? Because we all grew up on this game. And when the dungeon master said, you, you did the thing, right? Everybody, every character's been in that position. Every player's been in that thing when their character did the thing 
and the DM then says, "Roll for initiative." Oh like, shit! Ah, come on, right? <laughs> uh, and and that thing that that fun part goes away when you automate it. Now, I have a great story about an automated initiative roll that I'd love to tell. I know Andrew has one too, but before I pass it over to Andrew to tell his initiative story, I will say this, Chris, being very permissive with any software, I think is the key to success. We need to be able to inform people that they are breaking the rules or adjusting the rules or deviating from the norm, but by no means should we ever restrict anybody by saying you can't go through there because that door needed a DCX to roll and you never rolled it. So you are never going through that door ever. And that becomes problematic in storytelling. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that gets to the whole point of like this judicious pro process that we go through of like, should we automate it? Should we not? And, and everything that we choose to automate, like automatic initiative rolling, is always a preference switch in the game settings. So you can turn that off if you want to play a certain way. And so defaults and things that we put out there by design, most of those things are able to be walked back. And it kind of gets to a whole can of worms of, of the design methodology that like I put behind the UI, which is like super simple on, on the surface. But if you want to dive into any dice roll, any stat block, any character sheet, any action, you can go into it and add cascading actions and damages and see how the dice roll broke down every single one of those d6s that you rolled for that you're gonna you're gonna see all of that stuff so i i totally agree with what you're saying chris i love that um that you've put that much thought into it uh, and and the reason i love it is because i, I we did too so <laughs> great minds i guess yeah the story that i i used to tell and i'll tell it for your benefit and pat has heard me say this before too which is why he mentioned it but also for our listeners too as like why why would you do automated initiative rolling, especially when roll for initiative is a phrase that captures the entirety of the, the RPG industry, right? I mean, they yeah. put it on shirts. Like, how do you want to do this? Yeah, exactly. But here, I think this example really shows how your game can change when you do something more automated and allowing the mechanics to fade back for immersion to, to sit forward. And th this is this is the, the the example that I give. You are a party of three. You've been hunting and following two two bounty hunters for a while. You are sitting. Uh, you you finally catch up to them, and, and they're sitting in a forest, dark forest. They're silhouetted by a fire, and you're sitting in a bush. You've kind of snuck your way up to them into a bush. The rogue wants to get a a, a closer look, and so you're like, okay, uh, rogue, sneak ahead. Uh, roll me a, 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 a stealth check. Also, side note here, it would be amazing if that stealth check was hidden. And we can, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> the, the rogue rolls something like a 15, something average. They're not sure, um, you know, what happens. And the DM goes, you hear a snap as you break a twig underfoot. Yeah. If the next thing out of the DM's mouth is roll for initiative, the entire story has been told. The rub right. is up. Everything is done. And then the, the first person that goes is the wizard. So the DM says, wizard, what do you want to do? The wizard knows initiative has been called. I have a freaking amazing AOE fireball. And if I don't go quick, the rogue is going to be in there and I'm going to smoke them all on fire. So he says, fireball, boom, smash them, right? Now let's, let's walk that example back. The rogue is sneaking up. 
He rolls a 15 on his stealth check. He snaps a twig. And the DM does not say roll for initiative. He says instead, he on his screen automatically rolls the initiative for both characters and monsters. He says, wizard, what do you want to do? He didn't say roll for initiative. The wizard then says, oh, uh, well... Did they, are they moving? Are they doing anything? Are they, did they? You don't know. It, it, what are you doing? Oh, I, I, I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit and wait. I, I, I don't know. Okay, cool. Uh, fighter, what are you doing? Uh, I don't see any reaction yet. No, no, it's in the, it's the moment. What do you want? Um, I, I, I guess I'll just wait to see. Right, and then eventually everybody just sort of passes their turn. The rogue even sitting there like, what do I do? And then the, the, the enemy gets to attack. They go, well, George, did you, did you hear that? Oh, it's, it's probably nothing. That combat is completely different. Yeah. And the story has been preserved because the mechanics have been done for you in the background. You're describing a solution, not the problem or not the opportunity here. Role role initiative, the way that it's that that we do it today is one way to get what we're talking about, that experience, that introduction into combat in that super cool narrative cinematic way and that's what i that points back to something that is another core component to alchemy and what we're trying to do with alchemy which in every way shape or form we're trying to reimagine the experience of playing tabletop role-playing games if you ever talk to us at a con or look at our website i mean we always say that i I always say reimagine and the reason the reason behind that is because i'm sort of obsessed with this idea of innovation and rethinking how we do things and asking like, how do we get to that experience in a different way that isn't what you just said? That isn't, okay, everyone roll roll for initiative. Can we do that in an automated way? So for example, we're talking about like this suspenseful moment in the story where, you know, like Pat, you said, how do you want to do this? Or everyone roll for initiative, these things that we say. And so like in alchemy, when you switch to encounter mode, that's an event that triggers in the app that changes the music to held drums. It's uh, the, the intensity changes. We have ways to basically tie that to other aspects of the of the immersive experience, like like uh, changing the um, the animated overlay. Maybe it darkens. Maybe it starts to rain. Like all of these all of these cognitive stimuli, which we call them kind of internally, those are all a part of that automation process. You flip one switch, there's maybe forty five things that are happening in the code. And the the other thing that we've played with is the aspect of, you know, creating some kind of a sound. Maybe it's like a battle horn or something like that. It's funny, my team will laugh if they're listening to this because that became very annoying at, at, in our testing, but yeah. It gets to this aspect of like Let's challenge what we've always done. Let's challenge, like we, we get to this, like this feeling, this great experience. And, and there are a lot of things that we need to carry over from what started 50 years ago, but what can be new, what can be different and how, and can we achieve the same feeling that you're explaining in a different way that's more conducive to a modern generation of people on a modern piece of software? I think those are interesting concepts. I think there's still problems to solve Correctly. I don't know if the burr, 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 burr is the right way. Um, yeah, but I understand definitely not. <laughs> I, I understand what you're trying to, to do there. To give an example of what Andrew had just said, uh, a very similar example. We have on D&D Beyond, we had this, uh, or still do, this capability to auto-roll uh, initiative. 
I love the, the my mine is not the wood scene. Mine's the bar scene. And you're sitting in the bar. You're all kind of hanging out drinking. And there's two bugbears at the bar. And they're drinking too. And they're getting a little, little toasty. And one of them starts to give you the eye. What do you want to do? I think what we should do. No. What do you want to do? Well, I think I'm going to tell Belgar that we should get out of here. Belgar, let's leave. And Belgar's like, are we fighting? No, no, no. What do you want to do, Belgar? And then they go through this like realization that something's happening, but it's not structured combat yet. I think part of the problem is structured time versus unstructured time. So is there a space for us to do environmental and social encountering through structured time in such a fashion that's just a slower version or a, I, actually I should say a faster version of structure. Hey, first half hour, Andrew, what do you want to do? First half hour, Chris, what do you want to do? Love it. Hey, a half hour has gone by. And then, hey, you come across two bandits in the woods. Andrew, what do you want to do? Chris, what do you want to do? Little do you know that we just went from a half hour of time to six seconds of time. And I did that as the dungeon master. So, so there's that argument. Great. I love that concept. But then there's this other concept that I had. I had this experience last, it was Wednesday, Andrew. We played la- Wednesday, right? Wednesday night. <laughs> and <laughs> so we walk into the room. We're doing the thing. We're being all sneaky and we're, we're pretending to be trainees as uh, guards for uh, a syndicate operation. And the guard who sneaks us in literally locks all the doors. We weren't ready for this. He locks all the doors and says, well, <laughs> and that's- he hit a red button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's how the DM rolled initiative. He said, all the, he hits a red button, all the doors locked and he looks at us and says, well, meaning like, okay, big damn heroes, do something. And I had this image in my head, and I don't, you all, you both are probably too young to remember this show, uh, but it was called Dukes of Hazard. The, the intro to Dukes of Hazard used to always be like that an initiative role. It was the Dukes were doing something stupid, something went down, and then everybody started scrambling to do a thing, and then it paused, and then it went to commercial, and then it came back, and it told the story of how all that went down. And then somewhere yeah. in the middle of that show, you saw that scene where it paused, that that climactic scene of Bo and Luke like, we got to get out of here. And I had that moment with this game when when he had said, well, and I could just see all of our characters completely flat foot surprised that we we're in initiative <laughs> order, even though we ho- we rolled high. So we would have had mostly advantage. It was like, he just did that. And now we have to punch this guard and we never intended to punch this guard until all of a sudden right now we got to punch him because the shit went down. Right. So those are the two left and rights structured time when we're normally not in structured time. And then the beauty of the cut pause, holy crap. And then, then we move on. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm hearing, hearing you, you talk about Pat and, and we're, we're kind of discussing both of these sides and preferences and, and settings and automation or no automation and the things that you trade off and the things that you lose. And, and what I'm hearing is it, it's reminding me of the big thing that I learned, like, I don't know, six months into designing Alchemy, which is when you go, when I, when I started it, it was like when when I started designing it and then when I when I started working with my co-founder Isaac on like building it out, we both collectively got to this point where where we were like, this is actually a lot harder than we thought it was gonna be. Because we started off thinking like, oh, there's so much low-hanging fruit here. We'll make it design better, like it, it like we'll do this, we'll do that. And then we're like, okay, this is a game with both hundreds of pages of rules 
and also no rules at the same time. Software is all about rules. <laughs> you know, it, it's ones and zeros. It has to compute. So there's so much about this software that goes back to user experience and goes back to flexibility and the ability to, to what you're saying before, Pat, of like being able to fudge any rule that you want. And if you automate it, you can't fudge rules at that point. And so what it gets back to, I think this even kind of ties in nicely with our conversation on immersion. We are, are building something for all people because immersion is different for every person. The, the aspects of gameplay are different for every person. And that's why every game of D&D or, or role-playing game starts with a session zero. And it's a, a way to collect the preference and tune, like, what type of a game should I run? Not only the subject matter, but like, hey, do you like combat, exploration, role play? Like, rate those. And then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of lead us into that direction. So I think what's interesting when we talk about immersion and designing a tool is that we don't think alchemy is the tool that kills all other tools and that everyone should use alchemy. It is a tool for a market of people who want to play in this way. Because for some people, Fantasy Grounds is the most immersive way to play because you can automate things, you can build macros, you could do anything in Fantasy Grounds. It's an incredibly powerful piece of software. Some people think that Roll is the, is the best platform to play on because it puts the people center, the players, the video, video conferencing. Some people think Roll20, some people think D&D Beyond. And I love what we're building for the community right now because we're saying, here's variety. If you want this, that, this, or that, you've got it. We're seeing a hunger in the market for people who want what we're building that have kind of historically been underserved. And so again, like we're, we're not creating the, the VTT killer. We're creating the alternative to how you experience immersion, how you engage with the game, a way to tell stories in the way that you want to tell them. Chris, let me ask you a question. And, and I, I, I think this will um, uh, set you on your back foot. So get ready. All right. Um, are ease, is, is ease of use and fun the same thing? That is an amazing question. And I think we should pause there and take a break. This conversation is just getting started. Pat, what do you think about playing a couple of clips from part two? Yeah, I think that's a great teaser. We should definitely do that. Are we going to stand outside the portal for two weeks or? Uh, no, it's cold here. I would prefer to go back to the south for a little bit. Okay, well, we will reconvene right outside the portal. Sounds good. Bye. <laughs> I love the field goal analogy because everyone on two sidelines and 60,000 people in the stands are praying, holding hands, waiting to see what happens. And that is magic. You don't know someone truly until you've pretended to be someone else with them, but at the same time still know them as they are for real. Man, it's, it's what I think probably everybody listening to this could universally agree on. The imagination can be so much better than anything we can create with our hands as human beings. You can follow Chris Eddy at Chris J. Eddy on Twitter. Special thanks to Gabriel Gonzalez from InspiredBard.com for the use of the theme music and to Lee Smithson for the intro voiceover. For updates from the show, follow AC Searles on Twitter.